So today we start the epic journey part of this. I mean, we're all uh, we're all in a quest. We're all on a journey that is our life story. And as Mr. or sorry, as uh, Sam said to Mr. Frodo, what sort of tale have we fallen into as they're taking the ring of power to try to destroy it? so that the great usurper Sauron doesn't destroy all the earth and turn it into a tyranny. And we are in a tale like that, but it's, it's usually not apparent to us. And God has written this tale for us and wants us to be the hero in this tale. And it's a question of will we accept that opportunity. And the amazing benefits from it at the end. If we don't see it that way, it's more likely that we'll miss out. Because we have a quest. And we'll talk about that more as we go on. But first what I want to do is just talk about the nature of story. So our life is a story. And, you know, story is a big deal. We resonate with stories. You read your children's stories when they're little because it captivates them. You go to movies and you read books because stories captivate you. When I was a kid, I would get up on Saturday mornings and watch uh, black and white TV. And one of my favorite things was the cowboy shows. Wild Bill Hickok and Roy Rogers. And the same thing happened every week. Uh, Roy, of course, wore a white hat and always smiled and had a cheery countenance. And he had great values. And he was always helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, and all the other Boy Scout traits. Uh, and, he always, he, and he was always just wanted to have his ranch or whatever it was serve the community. But then there was always a bad guy. Bad guy always wore a black hat, had a mustache, wore a frown on his face. And he was a usurper. He always wanted to take a possession from somebody else using violence, coercion, and deception. And what would always happen is the usurper would be just on the verge of victory. And then something amazing would happen and the white hat would win. Just just at the nick of time. Just about 28 minutes into into the series. And then in 30 minutes, everything was all better. Same thing every week. And you know, just about every story has that basic construction. Um, Most of them have variations. They're not quite that simplistic. And there's millions of variations. And that's one of the reasons stories are fascinating to us. Because there's stories within stories and stories within stories within stories. Uh, You might remember the Batman story. it wasn't a cartoon. It was a yeah. It was, it was a series. Yeah, with Adam West was the guy. He was the played Batman. He, he was he was great because he was super melodramatic about everything. So it had kind of the the drama from the silent movies that he he brought. But he was a little overweight and pudgy, which was I think made it a lot funnier. And what would happen every week? is that Batman would would be against this villain of some sort. And right at the end, the villain would give them some impossible trap where they were going to die. 
certain death. There was no way they could get out of it. And then they cut to a commercial. And then they would come back and get out of it in some completely unthinkable way. One that, one that sticks with me for some reason is they were, they were in this uh, player piano that was giant player piano and they were on the scroll going through and the, the uh, teeth were going to chomp them up. And just in the nick of time, Adam West re- recognizes what it is and they start singing the song backwards. And it, and it neutralized the uh, machine and then of course they take their thing off that you say well why couldn't they have taken that off but the variation is that Batman didn't wear a white hat so he looked like a bad guy he looked scary but really he was the good guy so there's a little little twist in there and, and that's the way stories are, are made interesting The modern version of the great storyteller is Pixar. Pixar is a company that does all kinds of neat technical stuff, but they don't think of themselves as an animation company. They think of themselves as a storytelling enterprise. And uh, their book, Creativity, Inc., by uh, Ed Catmule, who's one of the founders of Pixar, it's a terrific book about just how to have a good company. But it's also fascinating if you like Pixar stuff. And one of their corporate philosophies is is that every story is bad before it's good. Because it's really hard to make a really good story. Now, that's that's interesting and insightful. Because we all love stories. We're driven by stories. And yet, it's difficult to come up with a good story. And I think that tells us something important about us. One of the things that Pixar has found is that stories, a good story, everybody likes. And a bad story, everybody doesn't like. They're not trying to make a a movie where people come and buy a ticket. They're trying to make a great story. And if they make a great story, the tickets will take care of themselves. And that's because humans all have the same values. The product marketers have figured this out. If you're going to take an opinion poll, you need a thousand opinions to have a statistical, appropriate statistical number where the result's reliable. But if you're going to do what they call right brain research, where you're going to find out uh, why people buy things based on their values, 25's enough. Because you don't have to have a statistical sample because everybody has the same values. Totally across cultures. Everybody values security. Everybody does. Everybody values belonging to something. Everybody values approval. Everybody values freedom. These are all transcendent human values. We're all the same. Well, stories are the same way. We all intrinsically understand what's a good story and what's not a good story. And really, really good stories have a lot of complexities woven into it. And you don't generally walk out of a movie and say, well, that story was great because of this. I do, because this is, an, this is something I, I really enjoy. As a matter of fact, um, I hate most movies. Because what they do a lot is they take the good guy, the guy with the white hat with the good values. The reason he has a white hat is because it's a signal he has good values. And, the, and we all have the same values and we recognize good values. 
And a lot of movies, what they do is take a guy with mostly good values and interbed some bad values they sell as good values. And that's the way, that's the way they change culture. And I see what they're doing. It drives me crazy. But I love Pixar because they don't do that. And we have stories within stories within stories. One of my favorite Pixar products is Toy Story. It's a trilogy. And one of the things that they do in these, in these stories is create a set of a world, they create a universe, and the universe has rules. And the, you, they don't tell you what the rules are, they just, they just follow the rules, and that's part of what you intrinsically see. And in the Toy Story, one of the main rules is the toys can animate and talk to each other when a human's not there, but as soon as a human walks in the room, they have to go into toy mode. You know, they have to go comatose like they're... You know, frozen, frozen self. Well, Toy Story has a Saturday morning cartoon type of thing. There's a bad guy, and there's a good guy, and there's kind of a chase scene and a, and a recovery. And it, it has that in there. But I think the reason why the story is so compelling is because there's a, a subplot that is actually the one that moves us. And, and it's the, he, the there's people that are heroes and villains. But the bigger hero and villain in the Toy Story, I, I think, is a proper view of belonging. That's the hero. And an improper view of belonging is the villain. What happens is there's this toy called Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz comes to, with all the other toys, you know, he comes to, and he thinks he's an actual space ranger that really goes into space and has a true laser that kills his enemies. And Woody, who's the main character, tries to convince Buzz he's just a toy. And Buzz cannot accept it. And then Buzz begins to realize he really is just a toy. And he goes into depression. Why live if I'm not a real space ranger. And the most poignant part of the, of the Toy Story 1 this is, and this theme replicates in 2 and 3, the, the, really, the, the, the great part of the story is he comes to a point and he looks at the bottom of his foot and it says Andy, which is the boy. And he realizes my worth as a, as an, as a person is that I'm a toy for a boy. So it's okay to be a toy. I don't have to be a space ranger. That's not what I am. I'm here to make a boy happy. And he embraces that. And then he has a great life because he's embraced who he really is. And this, this theme keeps going in 2 and 3. If we embrace who we really are and we lean into who we really belong to, that's where real happiness comes from. Well, why do these stories appeal to us so much? Well, we're made in the image of God. And God likes stories. That's the only possible explanation. And He has written a story that's unbelievable. And it's stories within stories within stories within stories. Millions of stories all interbedded. One of the things we may do in, in the new earth is spend a lot of time following all these phenomenal plot thread lines that are all interconnected, that we were oblivious to while we were on earth. 
Wait till you see the drive-in movie in the new earth. And you get to go and watch these things. And then on comes two people that explain the plot and do a thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, it's incredible. But, just like Toy Story, there's sort of a white hat, bad hat, black hat, kind of overarching theme in this grand story. You see, God made a hero with a white hat. His name's Adam. And he had a villain, the black hat. Name's Lucifer. Now, heroes and villains don't always look their part. Today, a serpent crawls on its belly, eats dust. But that was the curse for the serpent, so God wouldn't curse the serpent by saying, I'm cursing you by having you do what you already do. So, whatever a serpent was, must have been something very appealing at the time. Because a lot of times, the good guy looks like a bad guy, and the bad guy looks like a good guy. And in fact, those movies are, or those stories or those books are more interesting, aren't they? Because, ooh, I thought that was the good guy, and it turns out to be the bad guy. Well, that's, that's what he did. And, just in the nick of time, the black-hatted guy looked like he's going to win. Let me harken back to Saturday morning cartoon for just a moment. There's a, a great theological commentator and social um, commentator from my generation. His name's Ray Stevens. <laughs> And he wrote this uh, story, this song. You may, you may remember it. I plopped down in my easy chair and turned on channel 2. A bad gunslinger named Salty Sam was chasing poor sweet Sue. He trapped her in the old sawmill and said with an evil laugh, If you don't give me the DDO ranch, I'm going to saw you all in half. And then he grabbed her. Help me, help me, help He tied her up. Please, somebody help. He turned on the bandsaw. Won't somebody help me? And then along came Jones. And of course, Jones has. Well, I had, of course. Well, then a commercial came on, so I got up to get myself a snack. But you should have seen what was going on by the time I got back. Down in the old abandoned mine, Sweet Sue was having fits. That villain said, if you don't give me the DDO ranch, I'm going to blow you all to bits. And then he grabbed her. Help me, help me. He tied her up. Won't somebody help me, please? He lit the fuse to the dynamite. Oh, no, please help me. And then along came Jones. See, just in the nick of time. Well, the same thing happened in God's big deal. See, these, what, 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 what uh, Salty Sam wants to do is steal the ranch using violence and coercion. Looks like he's going to get away with it. Well, that's what Satan wanted to do. Satan, you see, is a usurper. He used to own the ranch. God gave it to somebody else. And he wants it back, even though it's not properly his. And he'll use deception and coercion to steal what's not properly his. And man, it looked like he had done it. Because Adam fell and death came into the world. And God comes in and promises Jesus. 
I'm going to send somebody else with a white hat. And in the fullness of time, could we say in the nick of time? Jesus came. The second Adam. Oh, but Satan went after him too. And it looked like he had won. But in three days he rose again. Oh, so everything's all better. Oh, no, he left. And now we're waiting for him to come back. When will he come back? What's going to be happening when he comes back? The army is going to be surrounding Jerusalem. And they're just about to finish it off. And he comes riding in on a white horse. (laughs) See, Saturday morning cartoons are really profound. (laughs) As is Ray Stevens. Well, this is the reason this appeals to us. It's history. So what I want to do now is look at the Bible. I'm going to prove to you from the Scripture that along came Jones is what's really happening. Look at Psalm chapter 8. I've already mentioned these verses. I just kind of skipped over them, skimmed over them. We're going to dig into them today. Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. I'm going to skip chapter uh, verse 2. I'll come back to it. When I consider your heavens, Psalm chapter 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? So, so you look at the stars, impressive or not impressive? It's really impressive. You look at the moon, you look at the whole earth, impressive or not impressive? And then you look at your husband snoring. <laughs> and he gets up and goes and eats a bowl of cereal and the milk's running down his chin. Impressive? Okay, what is man? You're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Okay, we are not as powerful as the angels. We are not probably as intelligent as the angels. Uh, We certainly don't live as long as the angels. We're lower. And yet, you've crowned him with glory and honor. What glory and honor? What what is glory? Doxa, Greek word, uh, in the New Testament. What it is, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, what you'll see is the moon has a glory, and the sun has a glory, and the earth has a glory, and they're all different. What all glory is, is someone's essence on display and in view. There's an audience watching and they see who somebody really is. What your real essence is. In Philippians, Paul talks about these people who are run by their bellies. Their appetites run them. He says their glory is their shame. So glory is not necessarily a good thing if your essence is not a good thing. Well, you crowned him with glory and honor. It's an honor for something. The essence of who humanity is, is something great. What is it? Here it is. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Verse 6. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. Now, this is not a new observation for David writing this psalm. uh, That we can now say, oh, that's why God made man. God told us right up front. Go to Genesis 1. He told us this right up front. 126. 
Genesis 1, chapter 26, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, what, what it means to have dominion over the fish of the sea is fascinating to me. I think the reason why people spend 50 bucks to go to SeaWorld is because you go and see people interacting with fish. They ride them. And they get them to jump. And they, it's almost like they're friends. Well, why does that appeal to us? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. I love C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. And in the Space Trilogy, he has this Adam and Eve character on another planet. And the Eve character needs to go someplace. And she goes and whistles. And all the dolphins come, me, 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 me. And she picks one and rides that one. Uh, That's a really cool picture of the kind of thing it's supposed to be like. But in probably the greatest understatement in all the Bible, we can go to Hebrews 2, where Paul comments on Psalm 8. Hebrews chapter 2. And let me read the commentary and then we'll go back and look at this whole passage because there's a lot here for us about this quest, this story, this role that we're playing because we're supposed to be the heroes. So look at uh, verse 5. For He has not put the world... Chapter 2, verse 5 of Hebrews. For He has not put the world to come... Of, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but in one testified in a certain place, saying, now he quotes Psalm 8, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels, but you crowned him with glory and honor, set, over, set him over the works of your hands, and have put all things in subjection under his feet. Well, is that happening right now? Are we, are we as humanity uh, in full harmony with nature? Are we in full harmony with one another? Are we in full harmony with God? Are we stewarding the earth together in a, in a community of love and acceptance? It's not happening right now. So he goes on in, in verse 8. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that's not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. Can I have an amen to that? Right? It's not happening right This is original design that God made where male and female all together are supposed to be in dominion over the earth and subduing it in perfect harmony with one another and nature and God. It's not happening right now. We don't see that. Well, what do we see? Well, there's a lot of ways you can answer that. You could say we see chaos. We see war. We see famine. We see catastrophe. We see violence. We see selfishness. Those would all be appropriate answers. But look what Paul says we see. Verse 9. 
But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. See, Jesus became a man, a human. That's probably the craziest plot twist ever. Uh, And actually, this is one of the favorite plot uh, components. Uh, You see something like Tron, where the computer programmer becomes part of the program in order to save the world. Uh, That that theme is typically woven in. Or, or, uh, uh, what is the guy's name? Neo. Uh, Goes goes, uh, into the Matrix and comes out of the Matrix in order to save the world. He becomes part of the computer. Well, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So even though we're not in dominion physically, and Jesus was, is not currently in dominion physically, he's not here exercising authority over the earth, what Jesus did is he suffered and died, and because he suffered and died, the result is certain. That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So what we see is the world isn't as it's supposed to be, but Jesus came, and he suffered and died, And then he went back to heaven because he was doing what? He was paving a path for us. He was was showing us the way. I want you to follow me on this quest because this is how we're going to restore the story to where it's supposed to go. Follow my quest. For this reason, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Verse 12 saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. So here you have the God of the universe, the creator of the universe that made everything for himself, becoming a part of the universe. And because he learned obedience, even to death on the cross, God elevated him up, not just to being the creator, but also being the king of creation, because now he's a part of it. And he turns around to us and says, follow me, because I want to make you like me. Well, let's go on and see, how do we do that? How do we do that quest? Look at verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. See, we're not talking to unbel- you know, the whole, are you a believer or non-believer here. Hebrews is written to people that uh, Paul says, please pray for me. And he says, I- I'm confident uh, about you that, that because you've done many great works and you continue to do great works. And he calls them holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. There's no doubt that these people are believers. The doubt is whether they're going to follow Jesus on that quest or are they going to follow a quest of their own appetite. That's the, that's the question. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful... This is the whole point of Hebrews. Be faithful until the end of the quest. Who is faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also faithful in his house. This is another theme in Hebrews. Jesus is superior to everything. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the high priest. He has a a Melchizedek priesthood that's superior. He's superior to Moses. He's writing to a Jewish audience. That's an audacious claim to a bunch of Jewish people. But he said, look, Moses 
um, what just built the house, uh, but uh, sorry, just was a house, but God built the house. So the, the builder of the house has more honor than the house himself. And then he goes on to uh, say in verse 5, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if... See, there's this royalty theme. We can go back to the princess motif. Uh, the Disney Prisoners Princess franchise, it's worth billions of dollars. And we have daughters, I mean, sorry, granddaughters this week that went to a ballet camp and they did Princess Day and they went in their princess uniforms and our get up. Well, we're supposed to be royalty. But every one of these princess things, it's either a commoner that becomes royalty or it's, or it's someone who properly is royalty but they have to be reinstated. And, and either way, what does it depend on? Whether they maintain their character. Will they maintain their character? Will beauty continue to love the beast so the flower will not fade? Well, if we hold confidence in rejoicing a hope of firm to the end, then we can give this reward. Go back to chapter 2. And that's what we're talking about here. Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. Don't drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, that's the Old Testament, and it did, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, and it did, when God said, if you disobey me, you're going to get whacked, they got whacked, how shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? We have an opportunity to follow Jesus through suffering to redeem the world. If we neglect that, you don't think there's going to be any consequences to that for us? We're going to lose that reward. And back to chapter 3, he says in uh, verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and now he's quoting from the Old Testament, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now what happened there? We're talk- who, who are we talking about? The children of Israel that wandered in the wilderness, right? And God gave them the possession of Israel. He deeded it to them. It was theirs. They just had to do one thing, which was what? Possess it. They had to possess their possession. God deeded it to them. And he said, be faithful, and you can actually experience the possession of it. They didn't, and they didn't get that reward. Now, did God, did, did God reject them as children? No. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. He gave them manna to eat. He made water come out of a rock. He, they had a few tussles with enemies, but for the most part, he vanquished their enemies. But they didn't get to possess the possession. And, you know, you look at that and say, well, to possess the possession, they had to fight giants. They had to fight walled cities. The manna stopped. They had to grow their own food. So it was harder. There was more suffering to go and possess the possession. But they got to possess the possession. And they got all the rewards of that. 
in the wilderness. They just sat there. And they died in the wilderness. And their life wasn't worth much. They were still gods. They had God as an inheritance, but they didn't possess their inheritance. And when the Scripture talks about losing your inheritance, this is what it's talking about. We have as an opportunity to possess the possession of restoring the world by following the same path Jesus did. That is our opportunity for greatness as heroes in our story. Well, what is it we're supposed to actually do? What we're supposed to actually do is what Buzz Lightyear did. What was Buzz Lightyear supposed to do? Be a great Space Ranger toy. Please, Andy. If he would have tried to be a great slinky toy, it wouldn't have worked. If he would have been tried to be a great G.I. Joe toy, it wouldn't work. If he tried to be a great Bo Peep, it wouldn't work. If he'd tried to be a, a great pig, it wouldn't work. He was supposed to be a great space ranger toy because that's what he was made to be. And when he did and when he leaned into it, that's when he got fulfillment. I mentioned the Disney franchise, and it's worth mentioning again. We can just go through a few of them. Cinderella is one of the princesses. She's an ordinary girl. She's called Ella, Cinderella, because she has to sweep the fireplace ashes while her sisty uglers, as uh, Andy Griffiths calls them, uh, are pampered and spoiled. But she does so cheerfully. She refuses to become bitter. She, she insists on having a servant heart. The stepmother, just all it does is irritate her. She doubles down. But she has dreams. She has dreams of being a princess. And magic comes along. Have you ever experienced any magic? Is the, is the Holy Spirit of God coming to live in us magic? Is it transformative? Does it turn us from a pumpkin into a coach? It's even better than that. Well, she gets a chance to go meet the princess and then, of course, has to run away. And then the princess comes and finds her. Oh, sorry, the prince comes and finds her. And then the prince comes and finds her. And... Is, is Jesus seeking us? You know, in this relationship with Jesus, we're all brides. We've got all these metaphors. We're, we're all brides. We all get to be princesses. I've never worn a Disney costume, but I embrace this notion. And then they have a happy ever after fellowship. It's, it's us. Cinderella's the story of us. And you take Aladdin... And it's the same story, it's just flipped. Because the princess is the royal and the Aladdin's the everyday person. He's worse than an everyday He's a common thief. And yet, he has, this, he has this good values in him that then matures and he becomes a different person. And he's elevated to being a prince. Beauty and the Beast, an ordinary girl. And in this case, the prince is a frog. He's warded and twisted. He has a curse put on him. Why do you have a curse put on him? 
because he was selfish and did what he wasn't supposed to do. Sound familiar? So he was cursed. And only one thing can break the curse. Sacrificial love. Does that sound familiar? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So, beauty comes in and the beast abuses her and ignores her and she's tempted to be revengeful, but no. She remains true to who she is and chooses to love in return. She turns the other cheek. She loves her enemy and in doing so breaks the curse. Sound familiar? What we're supposed to do is take whoever God made us to be, wherever we are, and serve wherever we serve. You know, it's a lot easier to park your kids in front of a TV than it is to read to them. When you read to your kids, you're changing the world because you're serving. It's a lot easier to turn and walk away from somebody that needs help. When you engage with them, you're changing the world and you're being heroic. You're following this quest that Jesus has, has paved, he's, that He's written for us. And, and this is where greatness lies. He's given us a possession to be rulers in the world, but only those who are of His house, if we hold up fast our confidence and rejoicing to the end, only those will possess that inheritance. We're talking about rewards here, not belonging. Michael Franzese, the uh, former mobster, uh, I've talked to him some, and he said that people are fascinated with the mafia, he thinks, because in America we don't have royalty. And people are inherently fascinated with royalty. We even follow the English royalty, as silly as they are. Uh, But he says it's kind of like royalty because you got a group of people who can pronounce life and death. And that's what royalty can do. They, They have a certain set of rules, and within those rules they pronounce life and death. And they they promote. uh, They decide who's promoted and who's not, and that sort of thing. It's kind of a royalty thing. That's kind of a twisted part of our fascination. But, you know, appropriately, what we do is we look at these stories and we're elevated by them. So, why... Are these stories so enduring? Why are we fascinated by them? Why is the Disney Princess franchise worth making $3 billion a year as of four years ago? I'm no telling what it's making today. It's because we're ordinary people destined for royalty. If we can keep our character and do what we've been appointed to do until the end. Why are these stories so appealing to us? Because the story's about us. And we are drawn to someone who can keep their character to the end. Why do we like the hobbits? They're the most ordinary creatures in Middle Earth. Unassuming. And to them falls the quest of destroying the ring of power that the usurper is going to use to take the possessions using murder and deception. Well... We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And this usurper wants to steal our possession using deception and coercion. And the question is, will we let him? Belonging to something 
that is unconditional. We're born, we didn't have anything to do with birth. We're born spiritually, we didn't have anything to do with that. We just received it. Who we become has everything to do with whether we follow this quest or not. We're designed for royalty. But right now, it's masked. We're pretty ordinary. Will we sweep the cinders when we're being abused? Will we do these servant things when maybe no, we think no one's watching? Maybe even nobody is, is, uh, is appreciating? When I, one of my themes I carry in my head is from, and I'll close with this, is from Lord of the Rings, which is like my favorite epic tale. And there's this character, Aragorn. Aragorn is from a line of kings. And the, the kings uh, left the throne and they gave it to some stewards. And the, the great city is Gondor. And so he's now multiple generations of being a king in exile. And as a king in exile, he is doing thing, kingly things. He protects the shire from trolls and goblins and so forth. And when, when he goes into the shire, he puts on his hood and he's kind of a dark, big, scary character. And the hobbits are kind of afraid of him. They call him Strider. A little suspicious. They don't know he's out there protecting them from goblins and trolls. I have no idea. And Aragorn doesn't go in and say, Don't you people appreciate me? Don't you know what I'm doing for you? He, he just wants the hobbits to be happy and not be ravaged by trolls. Now he risks his life every day. He doesn't bother. That's what kings do. They, they risk their life every day for others. Doesn't bother him to risk his life. Now, being dishonored, being dishonorable, now that's something that really scares him. When he has something that he's supposed to do and the notion that he might not do that, well, now that is a big problem. Because being dishonorable and dishonoring his kingly uh, family and his kingly he would n- uh, that's unthinkable. Dying, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody's going to die. And comes his time to take the throne and he refuses to take it. Because he understands he's not the legitimate heir to the throne until he's placed there appropriately. He does not grab and clutch. He waits and receives. Well, that's a great picture of the way we're supposed to live. So we're, we're royalty in waiting. We're kings and queens in waiting. And will we serve others who will not appreciate it? As a matter of fact, the more you serve, many times, the more they'll take advantage of you. Will we serve others? Will we follow this path, this quest that Jesus has given us when there's a usurper that wants to steal the, the goal of our quest, who wants to steal our identity using deception, using coercion? Will we make it? Will we succeed to the end? Well, that's yet to be, that's a story that's still unfolding. And we are of his house if we endure to the end. I'm speaking again about the reward. So, man, isn't life an amazing opportunity? Look what we get to do. We're an epic, we're in an epic tale, and we get to be the hero or heroine if we will play our Buzz Lightyear role and do the thing that God has appointed us to do with the Cinderella attitude. 
God, thank you for your grace, your empowerment, and that you've written this amazing story and given us this part to play. I pray that you'll help us play this part in such a way that at the end you say, man, you did a great job and that you're pleased. That we'll take what you've given us to do and do it with all our heart to please you. And we know that we can trust you that you'll give us the desires of our heart if we do that. Even though we can't see it and we don't know what it'll look like, we know you're trustworthy. Please help us embrace that trustworthiness and embrace who we are, not try to be somebody we're not. In Jesus' name, amen.